Hey, this is Dr. Barrett. Thanks for joining us on the Real Health Podcast. My passion is to help equip you with information that can change your life, the health of your life, and the health of your families. I'm a board-certified chiropractic physician with a passion and emphasis in nutrition and sleep and how to biohack the body to get to a greater level of health. Thanks for listening in to the Real Health Podcast. Welcome back to Armor Radio. Josh here with Dusty. Hey, man. Good to be here. And our special guest, Dr. B from the Real Health Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. In the Health Factory and Armor Health. And yep, we changed the setup again. We did. So the angle is different than it was last week and the week before. We we experiment. We do. We're trying to to find that new new look, new feel. Yeah, totally. I like this one, though. Yeah. This one's good. I like it. I like having you over there, too. Seems like you more like the producer and not like just some weirdo in the corner listening. What's uh, what's what's your is it Jamie that's on Joe Rogan? So you're like the Jamie. You're like over in the over yeah. in the corner. We just yeah. like say things and yeah. bring us a link and you, we need a TV. That you yeah, that's like awesome, man. Yeah. Cool name. We're comparing ourselves to Joe Rogan. I love it. I love it. Why not? Why not? Any cool name like Echo Charles? Oh, okay. We'll think of one. We'll think of one. Uh, uh, I feel like this one's a long time coming. Yeah, really overdue. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We've we've done this a couple times. Well, yeah. we've, we've had chats many many times. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and we've actually done a podcast once or twice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like uh, back back in the we uh, did. few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. But I feel like this one with uh, uh, well, first off, you know, thank you for being here and mm-hmm. thanks for all yeah. that you do in the community. Yeah. Um, and I just my own personal story for yours uh, that sets you apart from you know maybe maybe other professionals in the same arena. Um, is how well you listen. Uh, and that's just what I've always taken away from the mm-hmm. very first time I met you about five years ago. You really dial in to what anybody says. And then when you put that with this level of intelligence you have, I think that it could be seen as intimidating because there's obviously you're intellectual and you listen, but that gives you this wealth of knowledge to be able to share about mm-hmm. a lot of topics. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why you're here today to be able to talk about three specific things that I think we're all pretty passionate about. Um, hot topics right now in the uh, hot. health, mm-hmm. wellness hot, uh, arena. Yes, exactly right. And I think hot is one of them. Hot is one. Hot is one of them. And then a lot, the other side, uh, people are like, that. no, that's crazy. That's and crazy. That's true. You guys are going too extreme, which is why we decided to bring Dr. Barrett in because when I think of Dr. Barrett, one of the first things that pops into my head is extreme. <laughs> if you use uh, uh, the conversation from just a little bit earlier, then you uh, can hear me yeah. and him going at it like we have for the last 12 years yeah. on uh, various things. But um, <laughs> Do you accept that, that that name, that extreme nature? Do you, well, here's my you thoughts, right? Like, do you think you're extreme? Uh, yes. Okay. I, uh, or you could say I, I would say I'm countercultural. Okay, okay. And uh, the reason why I, I feel like you should be extreme, because if you aren't, then you're just walking according to the patterns of this world oh, and you're cool. going to, yeah. And you're just going to get what everyone's getting mm-hmm. and which is chronic disease, early sickness and disease, um, early death. You need cancer, you need heart disease. You're going to be overweight. Um, you're not going to have passion and vigor and energy. And so I feel like we have to be extreme because of how, uh, mediocre, you know, we we live today and the standards of which we yeah. we abide. So, and that's from character, virtue. That's uh, hard work. Uh, that's nutrition. That's fitness. So yeah, you can look at that and just because we're so hyperpolarized in our yeah. society and call it extreme. Yeah. But again, I just think it's um, just countercultural. Yeah, I I think though that's probably the number one thing that like uh, drew me to you in the beginning was the uh, the extreme like. Uh, routes that you would take to get to things you know i mean the common ground we all share is i mean we we did we've started really doing crossfit many many years ago when we really just trying to figure it out yeah Yeah. um and at the time it was like crazy yeah you know and so but that's kind of who we are yeah uh we didn't want to walk the same worn path we wanted Mm -hmm. uh, a new path I mean, I've told this story before, but when my wife said she wanted me to meet you because she had already met your wife, I asked what you do, and she said, you're a chiropractor, and I immediately said, no. <laughs> okay. Because okay. I knew, I knew, like, in my mind, I had already formulated an idea of, like, the type yeah. Yeah, totally. of, uh, 
like guy that I was going to get a hold of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, but then you know we start training, and then I couldn't help but like be interested in all these just like, extreme and abnormal things that he was want me to try. Yeah. That yeah. and give me some crazy reason. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how quickly I was like. Dude, I'm in. Like, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. But not just just for a chiropractor, though. I mean, and I don't mean to say just, uh-huh. but I mean it's very different. Just like you said, for just humanity in general. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like um, you're on the cutting edge of a lot of things because you want to feel better, but also because you want to be able to push that out towards everybody that you work with. And I think that's very apparent mm-hmm. in your practice in how I've just seen it over many many years of becoming more and more successful. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, for lack of a better term, it's just that you're not one note. It's mm-hmm. like, here's this thing, here's this thing. Uh, chiropractic, yes, but I also like to CrossFit. I also do this. And it's these, all these things that you've worked in, yeah. including to what we're talking, where we're going to talk about today, cold exposure, heat exposure, mm. and um, uh, fasting. Yeah, as yeah. it relates to, we're going to put a constraint on this, though. Yeah. We're going to talk about it as it relates to performance and anti-aging. Mm-hmm. So not just, there's so many um, studies that mm-hmm. are out cold when exposure. to do it, when not to do it. Yeah, exactly. and there's, a, yeah. there's a lot of different frames we can put into it, and there's yep. a lot of uh, really smart, really intelligent people who have done that, who have talked about it, a lot of studies done. Sure. But we're going to take it and put it towards our armor community and our anti-aging, just like what are the best practices to mm-hmm. make me, we'll say, perform. Yep. We could say even uh, we could even differentiate uh, gain muscle. Yeah, I think that's different. Optimize health. Yeah, optimize health, and then anti-aging. Yeah, and I figured we would start with like the one you talked about, maybe the one that people. I don't know which one is the most crazy. I feel like it's cold. I, I think cold, just because it's. It seems like mm. in the last I, six to eight months, it has really, really picked up some. Like, it has, but it's a hate mo- it or a love it. Oh, I agree. It seems yeah. like the people that won't do it will not do it no matter what. Yeah. yeah. And the people that will are like, yeah. you should do it every day, every second. Yeah. And oh, I think that's where a, we can well, make I think that's why we love it. Yeah. That's, that's tend to be where we hang out, that you know? true. Yes, that is right. Yeah, I think true. there's a fear avoidance there uh, okay. that a lot of people just don't want to expose a fear and pain. Uh, so I think that's uh, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. And totally. you, are, you are choosing pain. And, and so I think it's, it's one of the tougher ones because you're willingly to choosing pain where sauna uh, or heat exposure is more comfortable. Yeah. Right? You ease so, into it. Uh, yep. Yeah, totally. You don't yep. ease into the... And, and then fasting too, we'll talk about that, is, is also depriving yourself of something that you enjoy so much. Yeah. And that can be that can be difficult too in, in, a, in a different way. Uh, but for sure, when it comes to cold exposure... Uh, the, the benefits we can talk about f- forever, um, which are very similar, actually, heat exposure um, and, and, and fasting. I think they can all integrate together in a really cool way. Uh, but cold exposure specifically has a tendency to bring out the fear avoidance and the, and the, um, the pain uh, cycle in, in people's mind that, that challenges them in that area. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's where I think people are like, oh, heck no. But that's one of the reasons why it works, is right? Is that mm-hmm. that, that that choice to be uncomfortable? It yeah. does. Yeah. If if you're talking about like the mental components of it, I do. I think the choosing uh, a painful setting and controlling your breath and and controlling the way your mind is going to, you know, want to say, "Hey, get out of this. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. You shouldn't be here," and choosing to overcome that mountain every single time, and every, it, it may be it may be ten mountains. Uh, of thoughts that you have to climb in that cold plunge setting, mm. but every one you climb makes it easier to climb the mountains in your life. Yep. Mm, yeah. And and, that, and so there is that direct like relationship of hey, this is something I'm choosing to do, um, so that when I don't have the choice and pain comes my way, conflict comes my way, I can climb that mountain a little easier. So a little bit of inoculating yourself. I think so. To those things. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, how would I use that? Then if I if I'm just in my regular workout, let's say you know your average, I put in an hour of training a day. Mm. What would be sort of the best prescription? Again, we can talk about the benefits of it, and maybe we should just kind of detail a couple of, of high level bullet points on cold exposure. But then, what's the protocol mm. that should surround my training uh, to make my training be the best possible? We'll say for performance. What okay. would you say would kind of hit that? Hit all areas. Yeah, so um, 
So I would say, like, if we're trying to frame this out into three areas, is what we talk about. We talk about um, someone has to either be devoted to anti-aging performance, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, like uh, muscle growth. Mm -hmm. And, and, And I think they're different. The How, way that we would use cold exposure would be different for the three. Yes, there is some cross. Uh, there is some crossover. Okay. But like when we look at cold exposure in professional athletes, what setting do we typically see athletes get into a cold environment? It's typically right oh. after. Yeah. They train. Why or after a game? Yeah. After why would a game. They do that. And the main reason is to stop the inflammatory process. Okay. Right. Cover. Okay. So you're yeah. just trying to recover faster for the next game, the next event. Next training. Next, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. so, but, but for the modern, like, you know, household, uh, you know, mom, dad that are, are putting work in the gym, we want that inflammatory process to take effect. Okay. Because that inflammatory process is what helps build the muscle spindle, helps build the actual structure of the muscle back stronger. Okay. okay. So, so there's an adaptation process that happens post injury because you're injuring your muscle. Okay. And that injury process that's uh, takes time, and that time domain uh, allows the muscle get stronger, bigger. Whereas when you're trying to, uh, when you're putting in a three-hour football game, mm. and then you have to then show up two days later and train, and then repeat that same event seven days later, you're trying to reduce the inflammatory response during that season. As, as, as much as you can, you're not trying to build. You're just holding on for dear life so you don't get injured. Yeah. And so there's, there, I think there's a, two, uh, a different setting there. Uh, so for us, we don't want to induce uh, cold exposure post-training. Okay. Uh, we want to we wanna further like, support this, this uh, process of, of inflammation and see it through so the full growth and repair mechanism takes, takes place. So there is, there's a good inflammation. There is. So inflammation doesn't always have to be bad. It's a, a common misconception. Okay. There are healthy pro-inflammatory markers. We call them cytokines, but they're pro-inflammatory markers that aid in the repair process. Okay. Just as if you, sw- you, you sprain your ankle, it's going to swell. That swelling is not bad. We don't want to stop that. And, and that's kind of, even today, we've gotten away from the whole rice concept mm-hmm. of re- rest, ice, compression, elevation, because we know that the risk for re-injury is higher when you rice protocol. Interesting. Because you're stopping the healthy inflammatory process. And actually now we're suggesting, uh, forget rice, we need you to move. Okay. We need that ankle to move. We need to activate. We need to flush out in, in a normal, healthy way. We don't need to stop the inflammatory process. We actually need to let it go all the way through. It's called cessation. We need to let it go all the way to the end and allow that response to happen to the to the fullest extent rather than trying to stop it too soon okay okay so so essentially if we we ice that ankle right out of the gate we're we're making it worse later it may feel better prolong in the, immediate, the, but the, the healing longer. process and so maybe more so the tissue itself actually doesn't repair uh at the same level of strength uh and so we're in a more fragile state with a higher incidence of reoccurring injuries because a cold slows mm-hmm. chemical reaction and we want to actually yeah. enhance that by movement we in, in movement, it, it, it does. It helps um, flush the area in a healthy way. Okay. It helps create react, reactivation of the muscles. It, it forces the tendons and, and, and ligaments that may be damaged to go through a repair process um, versus... And, and there's level, levels of, of injury, right? There's different levels of injury. But for the most part, it goes back to, you know, inflammation, pro-inflammation is not bad. Okay. Chronic, unrelenting inflammation is bad. Where your body can't keep in check inflammation, right? It doesn't have a check and balance system. Now we're in trouble. Now okay. we're talking about chronic disease. Okay. But for the most part, inflammation should have its purpose and should have an end. And, and so if we were to stop that or extend it further than it's supposed to, then we're in trouble. Okay. And that's the, that's the part of just living a healthy life. Um, so when it comes to cold exposure, yeah, we don't want to do it after we train. Um, we want to do it away from our training. Is that a before? It like could be. Way before? Is it like how many hours before or how many hours after? Yeah, and I think this is where uh, literature doesn't really give us a great answer. We just know that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily want to be right after. Okay. Before isn't bad because before what we're getting is a healthy dose of cortisol and norepinephrine, so brain, brain hormones that help create drive and energy and focus and alert. So that's beneficial. 
cortisol is beneficial in this aspect. Yes. A lot of times you hear that as being like the stress hormone, but we're mm. saying like this might be something that when well-timed yeah. could be a good idea. Well, your cortisol levels are the highest in the morning. Okay. Would so that make cortisol time to do the could be ones? great okay. right when you wake up. Okay. Because one, one thing that you can do with cold exposure is reset your circadian rhythm. Because if we're flatlined in the morning with our cortisol production when it should be the highest, what's happening is inevitably we're waking up sluggish. And so we, we talked about years ago, we talked about movement. You know, we want to do... Uh, 20 burpees in the morning to help reset a cortisol rhythm, right? Okay. You know, wake up consistently at the same time. Waking up consistently at the same time with, with movement or cold exposure helps spike that cortisol in the morning, which it should be spiked, and then slowly tapers throughout the day. And then at night, we get melatonin production. So this is all the circadian rhythm. So if you did cold exposure first thing in the morning consistently, you'll actually get a really cool new reset of your circadian rhythm or cortisol pattern. And it would be okay like and if it, I did that and then I worked out 30 minutes later or would it be better to try to push the workout a little further away? I think it would be I, I think it'd be great okay. and there's no, no uh, I haven't seen any studies that show it's negative Okay. because when you think about it, when you get into a cold exposure environment, all the blood flow is going to your central organs for survival, right? So you're, really your extremities, legs, arms, are, are losing a ton of blood flow. That's why they're pale white. Right? It all goes to your core. All goes to your core. Because it's keeping you alive. Keeping you alive. Okay. So then when you start to move, let's just say then your warm-up is get on a salt bike and just moving, right? Yeah. Now we get this brand new flush of oxygen and blood flow to your extremities. And this yeah. is fantastic. This is what's going to actually help prep those muscles for engagement and movement. So I think there needs to be an intentional level of warm-up pre-exercise. Okay. But once the blood flow is completely returned back and your core temperature has kind of come back up, yeah. now we're, I think we're set for, for training. To, to just off of what you said, it sounds like that cold plunging in the morning would be better and cold plunging in the evening since that almost sounds like it could rev you up. Yeah, that yep. sounds like that would may not be the best time for it or is that more of a personal thing? Yeah, so there are, uh, I think it's important to note that cold exposure before bed helps induce a deeper sleep. So we have that element too. So why do you think that is? Well, because what happens is when you go to sleep at night, uh, a certain part of the brain, the hypothalamus, regulates temperature. As you as you go to sleep, you'll see your body temperature actually decline throughout the evening. Okay. The quicker your body can drop its temperature, the deeper sleep actually initiates. Okay. And so that's why when you eat before bed, it revs up your metabolism and actually increases heat. Right. Okay. So when you burn calories, you're you're creating heat. Heat is therefore when it's elevated at night. It's why people don't get deep sleep right before they eat, uh, if they eat right before bed. It takes them longer to lower their heart rate. If you look at any like, you know, or device or a whoop device and yeah. you track your sleep, if you eat right before bed, your deep sleep is usually pushed out a little bit longer. Okay. Your resting heart rate takes a little longer to drop. And that's really because your metabolism has increased. Uh, when you can cool off your body temperature sooner before bed, and sleep, and generally, sleep science shows if you sleep in a colder environment, you will you will help initiate that deep sleep system okay. uh, earlier, and your recovery, your heart rate, everything, uh, heart rate variability, all all those metrics improve. So, in an ideal scenario, where at what time would you want? So, let's say you go to bed at nine at nine p.m. When yeah. would when would you want to get in? When would be an ideal time to be in deep sleep? So, so we we can we can initiate deep sleep with within thirty to sixty minutes. As our body goes from uh, our latency of time when we close our eyes to actually fall asleep, seven to 10 minutes is great. And then we go into our light and then REM, and then we go into deep sleep. So within about 30 to 60 minutes, we should be in deep sleep. And most of your deep sleep is between the hours of 10 and 2, uh, whereas we start to hit REM 2 to 6. And so it's really important that we get that deep sleep earlier. And even studies show that the, the sleep between 10 and 2 is, is more valuable than 2 to 6. The, the ability to get into that deeper sleep earlier on helps with your recovery uh, exponentially. Would it be safe to say then that we should have, that we should maybe experiment with that with, it sounds like, what would be the appropriate time, first off, to, to stop eating if I'm going to go to bed, let's say at 10 o'clock, that'd be, that's question number one. And then question number two, yeah. should I experiment with getting mm -hmm. into a cold plunge before I go to, to sleep to see if I can get yep. deeper sleep? Yeah, so, so we have this... Uh, uh, you know, graph that we give our patients. It talks about things to eliminate before bed. 
you know, for instance, eight hours for bed, we should stop caffeine because caffeine can has a half life of about eight hours. Okay. Everybody's react react differently to caffeine, but that's a general good rule of thumb. And uh, even if you don't feel like you react, it doesn't it change the sleep architecture. It does. Some, even some when way? you even if you're uh, super adapted to caffeine, yeah. right? You still will have a physiological response to caffeine. Okay. And yeah. so as it lingers in the body, your ability to dive into deeper sleep as early isn't there. Okay. Two hours before bed, we want to try to eliminate all food. An okay, hour two before, hours before bed. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then is there, like, if I got in a cold plunge 20 minutes before I wanted to go to bed? That's... Here would be my suggestion. Everyone's different, and it depends on how you respond to a cold exposure. If you respond to a cold exposure in a very fight-or-flight mechanism, like, it's, you're like, still... What does that look like? Is that me just, like, freaking out and screaming at myself the entire kind time? Kind of, okay. yeah. If, so, like, like, every time I do it? Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah, and yeah. it could be, Got yes. Uh, you know, so that's if cool. that's the situation, we probably don't want to do that right before bed. Okay. And we, what we'd rather do is try to cool our body off with a cold shower. So, so I shower every night before bed, and I'll do a cold finish Okay, that's tolerable but not stressful. Got it. It's going it's to uh, uh, cool me off, okay. but not to the point where it's spiking too much adrenaline and cortisol. Does Almost like sense? a contrast? Like a contrast. Okay. That's right. Got it. Got yep. it. Okay. Now, it's, we didn't really talk about that, but are we only talking about a cold plunge where I like have to get you know all the way immersed to my neck, or are we talking about the same benefits through a cold mm. shower? Do we, do we, are we, because a lot, like I don't have a yeah. cold plunge at home, yep. but I definitely have a cold shower. Does that work just as well? It can. Okay. Um, so, so most of the studies show if it's below fifty degrees, about eleven minutes a week is what's is, is the goal. Total time in a week. In a week. Okay. And that can be split up in a uh, you know a two minute day, a five minute day, a three minute day, another minute day, and you're good. Okay. And it really that correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, colder is not better. So, uh, colder not isn't necessarily better. Right. That's exactly right. Is there a temperature that we know? Is it between like forty-five and sixty? Is it based on whatever I think is cold is cold? Yeah. So most of the time, uh, the data is going to be around uh, the 30, 35 to fifty degree range okay. Okay. for really cold exposure being in about eleven minutes. Um, exposed, for the entire week. Yep, okay. for the, the entire week. And then after about 50 degrees up to even like 60 or a young, you know, 62 degrees, the duration should increase. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, so we want to probably be in that environment uh, about twice as long. And there's, there's studies that show, I've seen literature show uh, a 40 to 60 minute session at, at 60 degrees has, has phenomenal benefit. Okay. Uh, as does a two minute and, and 40 degrees. So it does seem that there is a relationship between temperature and time. So if I'm going to be, if it's going to be really cold, if we're going to be closer to that other, that 40 degree, that 35 end, degree, yeah. I'm in there for how long? So typically uh, I recommend three minutes. Okay. Is a good, like low temperature setting. Okay. Beyond that, Listen, if you're doing it for the mental game or whatever, great. But beyond that, you're really not getting a ton of like physiological benefit. Okay. So tell tell the listeners like what's the top three things that they're that's gonna happen in their body if they're in water below sixty degrees, yep. somewhere between or yep. fifty degrees, yep. below thirty-five to fifty degrees, and they're in there for three to six minutes, what's happening? Uh, so so one of the one of the first things that's happening is we're, we're getting all this blood flow out of our body, going to our central organs. Yeah. And so uh, when you, and really the this, this, this studies is really cool. If you don't dry yourself off and you don't go then into a warm setting immediately, the actual, the benefit of the cold exposure continues in the natural warming up of your body because you get this slow release of blood flow, nitric oxide levels start to increase. So you get this really cool response. So I, I think that's the first thing. The second is we get this shift of fat burning metabolism where we take stored fat, which sits around our organ systems and our body instinctively will convert this under stress into a usable fat. And so when we go from white to brown fat, this brown fat now is being, is able to be used for energy and, and uh, so much so that you can actually increase just overall metabolism fat loss around the midsection pretty significantly through cold exposure. So everyone wants that belly fat, uh, it's one. Fat, yeah. It's one of the outside of like fasting. It's it's probably the best thing to lose central yeah. uh, central fat, okay. visceral fat. Yeah, I, yeah. and I think since that's been talked about, that's really what's picked up the the the, the, the cool thing though on my end, which I love, and it relates to um, 
heat exposure is in your body, you have these proteins, we call them heat shock proteins or cold shock proteins. Mm -hmm. And what's really cool with these guys is the aging process is when a cell in your body, there's trillions of cells, when a cell ages, so for instance, like brain cells can last your whole life. Heart cells can last about 40 years. These cells build up these nasty proteins, these protein structures. We call them protein aggregates. But pretty much what it does is it fills this cell up with these proteins and causes the cell to become what we term senescent, which is, it's like a zombie cell. It doesn't really do anything, yet it's wreaking havoc and chronic inflammation on the particular organ it's sitting in. So you've heard of like beta amyloid plaques. Those are associated with Alzheimer's. You know, you, you see this protein buildup in cells of neurons in the brain and those cells are creating this chronic inflammatory process leading to Alzheimer's. Well, when you expose your body to cold shock or heat shock pro, uh, exposure, uh, these cold shock proteins and uh, heat shock proteins activate and they literally eat up and, and unfold these protein aggregates. It takes these bound up proteins inside cells and extends, extends them, opens them up, unfolds them, and that kind of brings the cell back to life or it kills the cell, allowing for new stem cells to proliferate or grow. And then the reason why this is so cool is because this is, this is anti-aging. Aging is directly related to how many protein aggregates are in your cells. Okay. So there's a direct relationship to the more, it's specifically called lipofuscin, but the more of those in a cell, it's a super funny term. The the more uh, the older you are, it's not chronological age. It's not an 80 year old is an 80 year old. You could be a 50 year old with 80 year old cells, and 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 the the difference in that in that in that time, the difference in age, is directly related to these protein aggregates. So when you're exposed to your body to cold or heat, your body actually goes into this repair mechanism unfolds these proteins, unlocks the cell's potential to heal again and thrive and function. And I think that's one of the coolest responses. It truly reverses cellular age. And that's that's, that's mind-blowing. It's yeah. profound. That's profound. Now, when you bring up heat, though, so do I have to do both? Do, can I, can I, so you said it, with cold and with heat, can I just do heat if it, I don't want to get cold? If I were to choose between heat and cold, I'd do heat all day. Because heat activates more heat shock proteins in a different type of heat shock proteins versus cold shock proteins. Okay. Heat also allows us to go through this detoxification process that doesn't happen with cold. Okay. We also... Is that because we sweat? It's because we sweat. Okay, got it. Got yep. it. Now, what are we talking about with heat? Are we talking about dry, wet saunas? Are we mm. talking about... Um, yeah, what temperature? Yeah, how yeah. long? Temperature, is there too hot? <clears throat> yeah, I think there's probably too hot uh, because you could die. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like we should probably talk about that if you're getting in cold. If you've never done it before and you get in something really cold, oh, it yeah. could go poorly. It could. You should probably and, barely step And based off my own experience, I, I would say that like... Around forty degrees, it's mm. cold. It's cold, and you get below that. If you if you've not been doing cold plunging on a regular yeah. basis, that's it might be a, too aggressive. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agree. And especially yeah. if you're trying to go three minutes, if you just want to go a minute to try to build some tolerance, that's one thing. But yeah. like below forty again, my favorite time a mental, it is, is a mental battle. 100%. My favorite time is October when the pool temperature is is sixty degrees and I'm swimming for twenty minutes. Like that's that's like my favorite time because I know I'm wow. getting the benefit. With heat, um, man, there are so many studies about sauna, 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 um, and particularly. Uh, infrared sauna. Okay, infrared. In, in my opinion, is the best. What what makes infrared mm. better than another? Yeah, one's just thermal heat. It's just external heat. Okay. Uh, so the environment itself is 190, 195 degrees, and being in that environment, you do get obviously a natural sweat reflex. You, you're gonna you're gonna make heat shock proteins. Like these things are gonna happen. Is that? Is but that it's the also standard temperature. Uh, heat thermal heat saunas like Swedish saunas, where a lot of all the studies came from, yeah. are typically gonna get up that high. Okay. Okay. But that's a thermal heater. Uh, that's where you, you, you walk into that sauna, and it's it's just really hot. Like, it's painful. Yeah. You can throw some water on the rocks and, you know, just throw some mist uh, in the air. That's, that's your standard heat sauna. Um, but as saunas have evolved, you're really now in this world of infrared. And there's three different main types of infrared. There's near, mid, and far. Okay. And so near, naturally, is going to go uh, superficial, 
Okay. It's not going to go deep into the body. Mid will go midway. And then far infrared, that wavelength itself penetrates the deepest part of us, actually goes to our organs. And in the simplest way possible, it cooks us from inside out. Okay. That doesn't sound like a good thing? It doesn't sound like a good thing. But what, it, what it's doing is it's raising internal body temperature at a cooler environment. So, for instance, I'll get in my sauna in the morning. Right now, it's 55 degrees in my garage. And I'll start sweating at 80 degrees. Well, you know, you you wouldn't think you'd start sweating at 80 degrees. I'm in the sauna for about 50, 60 minutes uh, in the morning, every morning. And as I'm sitting there, the end temperature may only get to about 120, but I've been sweating for probably 30 to 45 minutes. And it's because that far infrared raises your core body temperature. And where we want to be to activate those heat shock proteins are anywhere between internal body temperature between 100 to 105 degrees. That's the therapeutic range. When we start getting our core body temperature up to that level, whether it's a 195 degree sauna or a 100 degree far infrared sauna, it doesn't matter. As long as we're getting to that level, that's where we activate heat shock proteins. That's where we cause uh, our, our uh, core temperature to rise, where we start sweating, we start detoxing, especially heavy metals really come out through, this, through the sweat glands. And, uh, and that's where we start to heal. So for our listeners, you said, how long are you in there? So, uh, so 60 minutes? So yeah, I've okay. been, I've been, but I, I've done. I've, is there shorter? Because I'm thinking again, like you know, how we're trying to put all these things okay. together. Like, is there my my cold plunge might hurt a lot more, but man, three minutes, I can I can do. Three be done. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Now, yeah. do I have to stay in the sauna for an hour? So you'll have a forty percent um, decrease in all chronic chronic disease and um, chronic comorbidities. Yeah, a forty percent decrease at three 20 minute sauna sessions a week. Okay. So, okay. Now, should I do, say, if I was willing to commit yep. to three 20-minute sauna sessions that you said around, if it was the the deep layer, it's around yeah, 105. You're typically going to get into those saunas maybe about when they're fully cooked, when they've been on for a while. You're probably getting in around 120 to 130. And that sauna, far infrared, may get up to 140. Okay. So if I did that three times, could I also do cold on other days? Would it be better to do cold on other days? Say if I did Monday hot, Tuesday cold, is is that a good protocol? That's great. Or should I do them on the same day? Would I get more out of it? Yeah, and, and that's where I've, I've kind of looked at things recently is I'll do my 45 to 6 minute sauna session in the morning, and then I'll go right into a cold plunge. From the sauna? Yes. End on cold? Yes. Okay. And then I'll let my body temperature naturally rise back up again. And so what we're doing is we're creating a thermal shock. We're going from a super hot environment to a super cold environment. And this is really what's going to maximize what's called nitric oxide production. Um, okay. So there, there are some benefits there uh, to go from this contrast environment. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily is going to do anything. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. So it's just an experiment. Experiment with it. Yep. Uh, but in general, I would say, you know, you're, if you're getting your best bang for your buck, three 20-minute sauna sessions, 40% decrease in all comorbidities um, associated with early death. If you double the time frame of that, and you go to 40 minutes, at, uh, but you also double the, the time in days to five to seven days a week, you get a, a 2x return. And so, so it compounds. It does significantly. Okay. And if you can get into a, a, a daily habit of minimum of 20, close to 40 minutes is the upper range of sauna usage, five days a week, you've, you've nearly affected every di chronic disease process that could poss possibly so show up. Let's restate that. So if, I, if I'm if i really limited on time, three 20-minute sessions. Yes. But if I would do 40 minutes, yes. and I would do that for five days a week? It's exponential benefit. Okay. okay. It's exponential benefit. And then, and then and then from there, again, cold, cold exposure. The questions you have to ask yourself, because everything's time-based, we got to be efficient in our yeah. time. And, and you can't just be hacking your body all day long. you got to work and right. you got to raise family. Right. So the questions are like, okay, well, why am I doing this? And you got to ask yourself that question. Why do I train? Why do I eat healthy? Why do I fast? Why do I sauna? Why do I cold exposure? And from that platform, I think you can build a program. So if you're trying for like performance enhancement, well, you know, we can then tailor our schedule of sauna and cold exposure accordingly. Um, if we're trying to do anti-aging, we're probably, we're going to step into a season of, of fasting and a lot of sauna and again, cold exposure. We're going to build our program from our why. So the first question is, why are you doing it? 
what's the intended purpose and then kind of frame everything out from that and like we talked about with the cold if I, if my my be all end all is maximum performance then it needs to yeah. be really close to my training session yeah. and if i'm trying to get the most out of my training session as what we would consider yes you have to be away from to it. deal with mm. the kids and to do all everything yeah. we push that away a little bit agree with my my heat am i and this may go into our fasting am i worried about dehydration yeah like you, if i'm getting you, in the sauna all the yeah. time do i have to adjust my water, my electrolytes, and so on and so forth? Significantly. Okay. Uh, and, and, and the fasting is the same way. We talk about it all the time. But when you have a loss of glycogen, when you eat healthier, people lose weight. And they're like, wow, look at all this weight I've lost in three days. You didn't lose weight in three. You didn't burn fat in three days. What you did is you lost your glycogen. And glycogen carries water. Okay. Glycogen carries water from sodium. So when we go into a fast, your first day you lost five pounds was not fat. You didn't start burning fat magically that day or muscle. You lost your glycogen, you lost your water, and you lost sodium. And so fat, uh, sauna is the same way. When you're sweating profusely, you're losing, you can taste it, lick yourself. You're losing salt. So your your I'm not need sure I'm lick myself. Uh-huh. Yeah. It'll drip down your face. It'll gnash <laughs> okay, gotcha. into your mouth. Gotcha, yes. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah. I want to go back to one thing real quick cuz this one always gets me. If you're talking about fasting, am I going to lose muscle if I fast? Yeah, so here's here's what happens. It depends on the time. Okay. You will The duration? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So day 1 no. Okay. Day 2 no. Day 3 yes, you start to lose a little bit. But day 3 stem cell formation takes place. Is this what we're talking about with like uh, autophagy kind of stuff? It is. Autophagy. 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 Auto meaning self, phagy meaning eat, phagic. So your body eats itself. Okay. And really what it eats is those senescent cells we talked about earlier. So those cells that are zombie cells is a very good thing. That's autophagy is going to start around 72 hours? Uh, Autophagy really starts to, its bell curves really starts to take effect uh, at 72 hours. Yeah. So I won't lose muscle until the third, third day, day. But if I, what are we talking about muscle loss? Are we talking about just a failure to, a, because there's nothing coming in? Because like, of, we yeah, well, because of caloric restriction, obviously, and because of uh, your body eating itself, what happens is when the body steps into autophagy, it starts to eat preferably fat. That's what it'll eat first because fat will make ketones, which will be a perfect fuel source without glucose and amino acids. But sooner or later, your body does start to break down some level of skeletal mass. But what we see is that the skeletal mass, uh, the muscles that are being eaten, is actually the tissue that's dysfunctional. Okay. So what your body's literally doing is it's cleaning up all of your torn, you know, uh, hamstring from six years ago and your torn, you know, uh, cartilage and, and ligament and tendon and so on and so forth. It does this throughout the whole body. It does it through the brain, the heart, the muscle. So do you lose muscle? Yes, but is it a good thing? It's a very good thing because then your body at 72 hours, getting into even thereafter, 96 hours, five-day fast, you start to create an immense amount of stem cells. And these stem cells will then go and repair and rebuild the muscle, the heart, the brain better than it was before. So what we see is about 90 days post-fast, you have all your muscle back, but it's even bigger, stronger, and better than ever. So kind of like a super compensation effect. It's a super compensation effect. That's a great term for it. You actually get about a 400% increase in growth hormone production. Like all of these physiological benefits start to take place because your body goes into a cleanup, but it doesn't just leave you in a deficient state it creates this brand new life of stem cells to repair and rebuild back stronger than ever. So it's like taking one step back to take three steps forward. It's a perfect way to say uh, to say it. Yeah. Okay. Now, are we only talking about uh, a three-day fast? Like, is that the will I only get benefits if I take a three-day fast? Or are we talking about can I just skip breakfast? Are we talking about regular regular time? And what, well, what's the benefit in the twenty-four hour? Person? Not much. Yeah, so when you when you get into uh, you really four, like fourteen hour window, huh? You hear that uh, fourteen hours? Yes. Anything over fourteen hours? Yes. Um, yeah, they they say that, but really the studies don't show that. It doesn't really happen until you get into ketosis, and that's the key. And everyone can get into a ketogenic state 
at a different time. Yeah. Even if I've when, been eating just carbohydrates like crazy. You're going to take a lot longer to get into ketosis. But yeah, if I have it, then I'll get into it faster. Yeah. Yeah, it could take you four days to get into deep ketosis. So even that three-day fast, if I'm just if I just crush carbohydrates normally, I'm I'm not. You're in trouble. Then. Okay. Yeah. You, you. And that's where we set up people for success by reducing their carbohydrate load two weeks before they fast. So they're almost in a ketogenic state through nutrition before they're into a ketogenic state in fasting. Okay. Okay. And that just helps blood sugar stabilization, helps them feel better. Yeah. And it makes During it more enjoyable. Fast, you feel better. Yes. Yeah. 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 So really, all studies show, uh, and this is mo- m- mainly out of Dr. Thomas Seyfried's work. Uh, he wrote a phenomenal textbook called Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. Crazy things. The first time I heard about it was from Greg Glassman. Yeah. I it was it was uh, it was twelve years ago, and he's carrying around a book and talking about it. And so I'm like, "What book is he carrying?" So it's, it's this textbook. So I order it. It's a hundred twenty dollar book. Oh wow! Okay, and it is pure medical jargon. I mean, for the lay reader, they would be bored to death because it's all of his work on cancer. At the core of it is a mitochondrial dysfunction. The mitochondria, the energy producing. Uh, part of the cell is dysfunctional. It has too many protein aggregates and it can't make ATP, the energy molecule. And so fasting is the way to restore mitochondrial function. Uh, And so he shows that if you do two, three to five day or one seven day fast annually, it reduces your risk of cancer virtually to zero. Like uh, your risk for developing cancer is practically gone with fasting. So to say that one more time, if I did two three-day fasts three to five day annually, fasts annually, or, or one seven-day, one seven-day. Okay, we're talking we, we, when we're saying fast. Just to be clear, um, I'm allowed water. Am I allowed like xenobiotics, like coffee? Like what's a what's a fast? Yeah, a fast is a caloric. Okay. So no source of calories coming in so, from so like a, from gum, protein, fat, and carbs. Uh, so this is where. Uh, you can either so like green tea you yeah. can do green tea it actually enhances your fast you can do coffee it actually enhances the fast okay but if you're trying to break your cycle of caffeine consumption it might be a good time so but from a pure fast standpoint yes water is is the intended purpose that in of itself is is the only thing we're consuming uh plus a lot of salt right because as your glycogen levels deplete your sodium is going to get flushed out of the kidneys and so we need at least 5000 you know, milligrams of salt. It's where people don't feel good on day two. Their glycogen's gone, their sodium's gone. And so if they just eat salt, they feel a ton better. But okay, so say just to make sure we got that again. So I'm fasting for the three days. I need to I need my sodium intake to be to be what again? Uh, yeah. So for the average person, I'd say three to five thousand milligrams a day, which is more than what we normally hear out of yes. the recommended daily allotment for that. Yes. Usually it's something like two grams. Mm. Yes, but yet um, <clears throat> in transparency, we should have closer to five to six grams of sodium a day yeah. for proper cellular function. That's why we're unhealthy. And sodium is not the cause of someone's high blood pressure. It's their, you know, donuts and cookies and candies and stress and all. And just for the listeners, there. sodium is, is, is a caloric, like, right? Correct. Okay. That's why, you know, electrolytes and, 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 and green tea, uh, coffee is totally acceptable on a fast. Uh, again, unless you have a different purpose behind the fast, it's totally fine as long as it's a caloric. Like, I drink a lot of sparkling water because it's just different. Yeah. And after yeah. three, four, whatever days... You just want something different. Sure. So yeah. I'll drink a lot of sparkling water and things like that. Now, can I work out? Like if I'm fasting for if I'm fasting for a day, it doesn't that's not a big deal. But if I'm fasting for multiple days, is it do I need to change my workout? You, you do. So what what you don't have is glycogen. So what you're not going to do is a is a is a hero workout. Okay. Yeah. Right. High, so high, super really, high intense. Yeah. No yeah, intervals. So, no so, stuff like right. That. So nothing okay. that's going to get your heart rate to a point where now you're burning glycogen as primary source of fuel. But but. You know, zone one aerobic training. Okay. Like just walking. Yeah. You'll see that your heart rate is probably 140 walking when it would be 90 walking in a, you know, high feed season. Because I'm intentionally stressing the body through nu- through lack of nutrition. Yeah. Is why that happens? Your caloric restriction is a stressor. Okay. Now, that being said, if I could just divert this one more time, if I was to, if I was just to take my calories into a deficit... But not necessarily fast. Do yep. I get the same benefits out of being calorically uh, deficient? 
Yes, okay. yes. Actually, this is where some cool stuff comes in. Uh, we we uh, so there is a style of fasting. We call it a fasting mimicking diet. Okay. Where you consume, it's about 600 calories a day. Okay. It's a, it's a certain balanced nutrient profile. So fats, carbs, proteins, yeah, sure. balance. Okay. That induces the same effects of autophagy as if you were fasting. At 600 calories a day. Yep. So so this a lot of this research is done um, in, the, in the program. You can go just Google. It's fasting mimicking diet. Okay. And you can order all the food from them okay. and go through a one week fast in essence and get all the benefit uh as you would um a calorically so now how long do i have to run that so if i'm running a fast for three to five days or for even seven days what is my that that 600 calorie a day diet look like am i doing that for indefinitely usually it's 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 uh the same kind of time frame okay as you would normally fast so oh, okay. so five to seven days is great what is, so off of but what because, you've done, what do you think? What do you like better? Yeah. Do you like the no, no nothing, or do you like having that 600? Yeah. Or is it person by person? Yeah, I think it's person by person, but personally, um, yeah. So the why, why, the why I fast. Yeah. Just like you should ask yourself why. Yeah. The why I, I fast is two, twofold. Yes, we get all these amazing health benefits. Uh, anti-aging supports my model of health, but... For me, it is choosing to be uncomfortable and choosing discomfort, uh, depriving what, what I would call, spiritually call my flesh, depriving my flesh of something it wants um, in the moment for the benefit of my spirit, which is, hey, I'm choosing a harder, more difficult way. I'm choosing a, uh, I'm choosing, choosing a little bit of pain, a little bit of discomfort, for the purpose of stress resiliency and spiritual strength. So to me, I think there's an element uh, that you can't get with anything else other than complete caloric deprivation or a super cold environment. You just can't get that anywhere else where you're testing the mind, you're testing the spirit of who are you, what are you made of, and are you willing to go to uh, periods of pain and discomfort for the benefit of your long-term health? Yeah. And I think that's the shift that happens in those environments that you won't get in in a... 60 degree pool why do you do 40 because it's just tougher mm. right why do you not do 600 calories and why do you just fast for seven days because it's just harder yeah and is the benefit are you gonna get much more i'm not sure probably not but i will mentally and that in turn will feed my physical body my yeah. spiritual body you build resiliency mm-hmm. that is literally science stress resiliency is built and we live in a in, in, in a season of cowards, people that are fearful, that don't want to be in pain. But the truth is, everyone will hurt physically, emotionally, or spiritually. We will all be hurt. And if you can, in a healthy way, put yourself in hurtful situations intentionally, pain, intentionally, but control it with your breath and your mind, it helps set us up for success when we have those situations that arise that we can't control. Yeah. It's, it's what all. And a- yeah, Maybe I think that's what's cool about all those things that we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, because I think the central um, point that you come back to is yeah, there are a lot of physical uh, benefits and adaptations that's taken place. But then you you arrive back at this, uh, the mental aspect of it. And I, I mean, even for me, I, just coming out of a three-day fast, like the the some of the things that I've wor- like worked through in my mind in the last three days... It's, it's been powerful. You what know. Do you, what do you do when, on a three day fast? You're 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 two days in. What, what do you do when you get hungry? Like what drink what can water? We tell our listeners to do when you get hungry. Drink water. Drink water. Okay. Do you yeah. lace that water with? Do you put salt in that water? Is it just? Yep. Okay. Most of the time, but yeah, when I when I'm hungry, I I drink water and or uh, I, I I do something. I think so sitting, don't sit there and sitting, think about and being you know, yes, it's an it's an opportune time to like read and and grow in some other areas. But uh, I also think that when you sit, you then you kind of get uh, bored and you think about all the things that you're missing, and so it makes you want them more. Yeah. Um, and for me, I kept uh, going back to this graph that I had that kept showing me at different stages of the fast what was you know what uh, phase I was in. And so that gave me 
the oh, motivation. Like yeah, to, like oh, okay. that autophagy. It's like when yeah. I saw like I'm hitting that part. Okay. And then when you get to that roughly that 72 hour range where you're talking about stem cell, it's like, I don't want to stop now. And, and actually when you check in on yourself, you realize like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Like I feel good. Yeah. And, uh, it's more, boring it's like you can keep going if yeah. you, you know, if you needed to or wanted to, um, pl- cold plunging got harder. <laughs> yeah. And what you find is that when you have multiple stressors in your life, Sometimes fasting is not the best for that season or cold exposure is not the best for the season because what we have to realize is the brain doesn't know the difference between cold exposure, family stress, nutritional lack, uh, job stress. Stress is stress. Yeah. And your body can only handle so much. So whether it comes to fasting, heat exposure, cold exposure, like right now, I know this week my body's been fighting something off, right? I've been around hundreds of patients that have been sick. I can tell my body was fighting a virus off. I didn't do sauna this week. I didn't do cold exposure this week. I ate sound, but I didn't necessarily deprive myself or overeat. I was restful. I was mindful of, hey, this is a week of healing and recovery. In seasons that people are more stressed, what we have to find out is the balance of how hard do I need to push myself, but how much grace do I need to give myself for recovery? And cold and heat is a stressor. Mm. So before you just jump into everything, listen to your body and how it's like just do a checklist like how stressed am i in these areas and how do i feel myself handling what's my sleep look like because to me we shouldn't even have a conversation about cold heat and fasting if you're not eating well moving your body and sleeping well if those three things foundationally aren't set don't worry i'm not going to talk to you about sauna i'm not going to talk to you about cold exposure i'm going to talk about daily habits of success Mm. and that's going to come through Healthy relationships. It's going to come through a healthy spiritual life, a healthy uh, nutritional life, healthy movement life, and a healthy sleep life. Those five pillars build health. Sauna doesn't build health. Sauna adds to, enhances the foundation that already exists. Cold Cold enhances the environment that already exists. Even fasting, I mean, it's one of those things. If you don't have healthy eating habits in place, well, you fast, you're going to lose weight, but you're going to go right back to the same You'll gain more weight. Yeah. And, and that's where people go into these seasons. I'm going to eat 1,000 calories a day for 90 days and lose 50 pounds. Yes, you will. But because the mindset didn't change, the daily grind didn't change, the habits didn't change, the recovery didn't change, you're going to gain 100 back. And to me, you'd be better off not, at, not doing the 1,000 calories nutrition modification plan. So there's a lot of foundation we need to set the stage on before we work to optimizing. Yeah, it's not about looking at Instagram being cool and saying, yeah. hey, I cold plunge too. Yeah. Right? That's it's, good. hey, what are we doing behind the scenes? Are we truly taking care of ourselves and our relationships and people around us? And if we are, if we're truly checking those boxes consistently, then let's experiment. Let's have fun. Let's get wild. Let's get crazy. Let's yeah. go extreme, right? Let's go countercultural. Mm-hmm. And that's where everything enhances, right? So, first and foremost, I need to have my nutrition down. I need to have my sleep behavior down, and I need to move frequently, move well, move often, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Then I can look yeah. to what things I can do, cold, heat, yeah. fasting. Yeah, our metrics are, are you sleeping eight hours a day? Yes. Are you getting 10,000 steps a day? Yes. Are you eating paleo? Yes. Great. Let's talk about next steps. Mm. Doc, thank you for your time. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Great. It's fun. Time flies when you're having fun, right? This is true. It this does. is true. Very true. Oh, that's great. Thanks, man. Fantastic, dude. That yeah. was good. It was fun. Well done. I tried to get it. I, that was our longest one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was our longest Thanks so much for listening to the Real Health Podcast with Dr. B. Before you get out of here, before you exit, there are two things that would really help the Real Health Podcast. One would be to share it on your social media, your Facebook, your Instagram, wherever you're on a social network. And then two, go to Apple Podcasts and scroll to the bottom and give us a five-star review and leave us a review. Thank you so much again, and we'll see you next time.